Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 11 The tops of the Alleghenies loomed up darkly against the eastern skies. It flushed with the rosy hues of a new day. The delicate shades of rose pink and pale blue changed to crimson and gold, and anon the increasing light aroused old Vashti from the heavy slumber into which she had fallen some hours before. She started up, rubbed her eyes, and glanced from the window, muttered, "'Bout time this child was awakin' up and lookin' after things. Sun's just squint to peep above those mountains. Wonder how old Mark about this time.' She had thrown herself down upon her bed with und without undressing, finishing her remarks with something between a sigh and a groan. She slowly gathered herself up and went stumbling from the room, hardly more than half awake, yet having lost much sleep in the last two or three weeks. But reaching the upper chamber, where her mistress had kept solitary vigil through the night, she entered very quietly, extinguished the candle, drew aside the window curtains, letting in the morning light and the air, then stepping to the foot of the bed, stood silently gazing upon its occupant, the big tears stealing down her sable cheeks. The form lying there was attuned, the face thin, haggard. Deathly, the sunken eyes were closed, and the breath came fitfully from the ghastly parted lips. Mrs. Clendenin seemed unconscious of Vashti's entrance. Her eyes were riveted upon that pallid face. The cold hand was clasped in hers, and her heart was sending up agonizing petitions. They were granted. He stirred slightly, opened his eyes, looking full into hers with a clear, steady, loving gaze, while the cold fingers feebly responded to her tender clasp. My wife, my darling, he whispered, and she bent eagerly to catch the low, breathed words. God bless you for your faithful love. I'm going, going home to be with Christ, and it's all peace, peace and light. The eyelids drooped, the fingers fell away from her grasp, the breast heaved with one long drawn sigh, and all was still. She fell upon her knees at his side, still with his hand in hers, her face radiant with unuttered joy. Oh, thank God, thank God, she cried, my darling, my darling, at rest, at rest, and safe at last. Dad he is, dad he is, bless the Lord, it said Vashti. For many minutes the new-made widow knelt there, gazing fixedly into the calm face of the dead. Then rising, she gently closed the eyes and composed the limbs of him who had been to her nearer and dearer than aught else on earth. Not a tear dimming her eyes, but a light shining in them as in those of one on whom had been suddenly bestowed and intensely longed for, and almost despaired of boon. No strange hands shall busy themselves about thee, my beloved, she murmured. Mine, only mine, shall make you ready for your quiet 
peaceful sleep, where the wicked cease from th troubling and the weary are at rest. Vashti looked on in wonder and surprise, silently giving such assistance as she might without waiting for orders, bringing needed articles and making the room neat. At length, the task completed, Vashti went down to her kitchen, but Mrs. Clendenin lingered still by the side of the beloved clay, gazing with hungry eyes upon the face that must soon be hidden from the sight beneath the clods of the valley. A light step crossed the threshold, and a slight girlish figure stood beside her. In an instant, Marian's arms were around her mother's neck, her kisses and tears warm upon her cheek. Precious, precious mother, oh, don't let your heart break. No, darling, she whispered, clasping the weeping girl in her arms. It is full of joy and thankfulness for him, for he has laid down his heavy, heavy cross and received his crown, the crown of righteousness bought for him with the precious blood of Christ. Ah, my Angus! How blessed, how blessed art thou, she cried, bending over the still form and pressing her lips to the cold brow. They lingered over him for some minutes, the girl weeping and sobbing, the mother calm and placid. Then together they went downstairs and out into the shrubbery. There were no curious eyes to watch them as they paced slowly up and down the walks, for the nearest neighbor was a full half-mile away on the farther side of the western hills. The mother talked low and soothingly to her weeping child, speaking of the glories and bliss of heaven, and of the loving care of the Lord for his saints on earth. Mother, mother, cried the girl, I feared your heart would break, but instead you seem full of joy. Ah, dear one, life has been a terror to him for many years. And and shall I mourn that he has at last gotten the victory, that he is going home to his father's house, where there is perfect safety and fullness of joy forevermore. Mother, whispered the girl with a shudder, what did he fear? Why have I never been told? Dear child, do not ask, oh, never ask that, cried the mother in a startled tone, and turning a look of anguish upon her questioner, the girl's face reflected it. Oh, why is it that I am not to be trusted, she sobbed, almost wringing her hands in her bitter grief and distress. Why should I be deemed unworthy of confidence even by my own mother? Would I? The sobs choked her utterance. My darling, my precious child, it is not that, not that, faltered the mother, clasping her in her arms with tender caresses. But let us speak of this no more. Let us forget his sufferings, as he has forgotten them now. It is what he would have wished. Shall we not try, daughter? Yes, yes, my poor dear mother. I will for your sake, sobbed the girl. Ah, oh, if Kenneth were only here, when will he come? I do not know, said Mrs. Clendenin, sighing slightly. It is now several we weeks since my letter went, but there are often delays, and it may not have reached him yet. I think he would start at once on receiving it, but the journey is long and tedious at the best, and there may be unlooked-for detentions, consuming much time, so that we can hardly expect him for many days to come. The letter she spoke of was the same that had caused Kenneth's sudden departure from Chillicothe only the previous day. A month later, he reached Glen Forest. 
Mrs. Clendenin, seated at the open window, saw him alight at the gate and hastened out to meet him. There was a silent embrace, then an earnest scanning by each of the other's face, noting the changes wrought by time and the wear and tear of life. Kenneth's eyes grew misty, for the dear face before him had aged very much since last he had looked upon it, and the dark hair had turned to silvery white. She was regarding him with wistful tenderness. Yes, she said, answering his unspoken thought in a half-playful tone, yet smiling through gathering tears, I am growing old, and you, my dear boy, are not quite so young as you were. Come in. Ah, oh, it is good to have you here at home and have heard, of course. Yes, since arriving in the neighborhood, but I knew from your letter that all would be over long before I could reach you. It was a sore trial to think that even in the small comfort and support of your boy's presence must be denied you. It was all right, she answered in low, sweet tones. He was with me, who has promised never to leave me, nor forsake those who trust in him. I knew he would be, and that was my consolation, Kenneth returned in moved tones. Then glancing about as they entered the house, Where is Marion? he asked. The mother explained that she had gone on an errand to a neighbor's half a mile away and would not probably be back for an hour or more. Vashti was summoned, bade him welcome with tears of joy, and hastened to set refreshments before him. But he did them scant justice. His heart was too full of contending emotions to allow of much appetite, though he was not had not tasted food for some hours. Gazing upon the loved faces he had not seen for years, listening to the well-remembered tones of the dear voice that had been wont to soothe his childish griefs, to give the well-earned meed of praise which was the highly prized reward of his boyish efforts to be and do all that was good, noble, and manly, he forgot to eat. She had much to tell of all that had occurred in the family during his absence, but her principal thing was the sickness and death of her husband. Kenneth listened with intense, sorrowful interest to her description of that last scene, and seemed to feel no surprise when she told of the joy and thankfulness with which she had parted from her heart's best treasure. He had arisen from the table and drawn a chair to her side. Dear mother, he said in faltering accents, taking her hand in his, what a life yours has been. What but the grace of God could have sustained you through it all? Blessed be his holy name. It has always been sufficient for me. She answered, Hitherto hath the Lord helped me, and I am persuaded that he will help me to the end. A moment's silence, which Kenneth was the first to break. Tell me of Marion, mother, he said. She has grown. I shall doubtless find her greatly changed. More perhaps than you think, the dear child has shot up into a tall, graceful, blooming girl, very sweet and lovable in her mother's eyes, at least, with a beauty that oftentimes makes me tremble for her future, Kenneth. Kenneth, the child will surely be sought in marriage, and what shall we do? With the last words, her voice took on a tone of keen distress, and the eyes she lifted to his were full of anguish. It must not, must not be, he answered hurriedly, his brow, brow contracting in a spasm of pain. Mother, keep her secluded here with you. Let her have no communication with other sex, old or young. 
Alas, I fear the utmost vigilance will not prevent it, she cried, having a deep-drawn sigh. Oh, my darling, my darling, your mother's heart bleeds for you. Dear mother, he said again, taking her hand and speaking low and tremulously, you cannot, can you not cast this burden also upon the Lord? Sometimes she said, Ah, oh, I should die if I could not. But Kenneth, what shall we do? Would it not be better to tell her all, to warn her in time? Never, he cried with energy. It were too fearful a risk. It might cause the very calamity we so dread. Too true, too true, she sighed, clasping her hands in her lap and closing her eyes while her very lips grew white. He bent over her, taking her cold hands in his, repeating low and tenderly the precious promise, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Yes, yes, sweet words, sweet words, she murmured. Lord, increase my faith. But Kenneth, opening her eyes and looking up earnestly, entreatingly, as it seemed into his face, you are sure, quite sure, that this is the best, wisest, kindest course, not risking a greater danger than the one avoided? He answered her question with another. If we take the other course, shall we not be running into a certain danger in the effort to avoid one that may never threaten us? Perhaps, but ah, what a hard choice we must sometimes make. Yet he knows and will never send one unneeded pang. We'll cause all things to work together for good to them that love him. May he in his tender mercy forgive my unbelieving fears. Oh, how Kenneth's heart yearned over her as he gazed into the dear, patient, sorrowful face, how he felt that he would willingly give the best years of his life to remove every thorn from her path. And yet, and yet, was not the love which permitted them to remain infinitely greater than his. Silence again filled between them for a short space. Then, looking tenderly upon him, she asked, But what of your quest, Kenneth? He shook his head sorrowfully. Nothing yet, absolutely nothing. Hopes raised now and again, but to be utterly disappointed. My poor boy, she sighed, yours is a heavy cross. But if born with steadfast patience, your crown of righteousness will be all the brighter for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He looked at her with glistening eyes. Yes, he said, with a slight huskiness in his voice, and even in this life it may be lightened. I fear not, she answered in gentle, pitying tones. So many years have now passed. There seems little hope that she yet lives, and even if she does, if she should be found, there may be nothing gained. I know, I know, he returned with emotion and rising to pace the room, and yet there are times when hope is still strong within me. At that instant a slight, graceful, girlish figure came swiftly into the room, and with a glad cry, Kenneth, come at last. 
Marion threw herself into the manly arms, joyfully open to receive her. She clung about his neck, weeping for a very excess of happiness. Oh, I have wanted you so much, so much, she cried. I thought you would never come. I wish you would never go away again. She saw the pain in his face and redoubled her caresses. What is it, Kenneth? she asked. My poor Kenneth, you are not happy. Has someone been unkind to you? Ah, oh, I know, she added quickly in a lower tone. It is for poor dear father you are grieving. But you know, he is so, so happy now. While here he was always sad and suffering. He sat down and drew her to the old seat upon his knee. The mother had left the room, and there were quite alone for a, the moment. How long since you sat here last, he said, and how glad I am to have you in the old place again. And truly he was, yet peradventure not entirely for her own sake. Was it not some slight relief to the longing desire to embrace that other one who was dearer still? Had his thoughts some magnetic influence upon Marion's that led her to the next instant to look up in his face and ask for news of that pretty Miss Lamar? What do you know of her, little one? He asked gently, conscious of the telltale blood mounting to his forehead, but avoiding the curious gaze of the soft, bright eyes. I saw her in church the Sunday before you left and thought her very sweet and pretty. And do you know, Kenneth, giving him a hug and an arch, bewitching smile, it's all my own notion, and I never told anybody before, but I've had a sort of presentiment that someday you would make her my sister. Oh, I've always wanted a sister so much. But, oh, Kenneth, I didn't mean to pain you, she cried, noting the expression of his face. Please forgive me, and I'll never mention it again. Don't, darling, he said hoarsely. Marriage is not for me. I cannot tell you why, as he read the question in her eyes. But with a strange forced smile, I want my little sister always to lay her plans to devote herself to the dear mother while she lives. And if it should please God to take her away first, then to come be the light and joy of her bachelor brother's home. She half withdrew, her features working with contending emotions. What is it, little sister? Do you not want to share my house? He asked soothingly. Yes, yes, you know I love you. You know I'll be glad to be always near you, she cried, flinging her arms about his neck. Then hiding her face in a burst of passionate weeping, but why do you and mother have secrets from me, family secrets, as if I were not worthy to be trusted? Ah, oh, my little sister, be content with your ignorance, he said in moved tones, drawing her closer to him. Can you doubt that we love you well enough to tell you all if it would add to your happiness? But I want to know, she sobbed, if there is trouble or sorrow I ought to bear my share. Do you think I could be so selfish as not to prefer to do it? No, dear sister, I believe you bear a very unselfish love to your mother and brother, and therefore I am sure you will not distress them by refusing to trust to their judgment of what is best in regard to those things. Believe me, the knowledge you crave could bring you nothing but grief and anguish. It is all it has brought me. The day may come when you must be told, but do not try to hasten it. I can be here but a short time to arrange matters for mother and you, and while I stay, let us try to be happy. Oh, yes, yes, she cried. 
clinging to him and weeping afresh. Kenneth, Kenneth, why can't we have you always? I'll try to be content not to know anything, but just tell me one thing. Why do you search for a white woman among the Indians? I've learned from some of your letters about your long journeys in the wilderness. Why are you so anxious to find her, so grieved when you fail? Surely I may know that, may I not? He considered a moment. Yes, he sighed. If you insist upon it, I will tell you, though I know you will regret having asked, for the knowledge can bring you only sorrow. Shall I tell you? She gave an eager assent, but at that moment the mother returned to the room, and he whispered in Marian's ear that they would defer it until another time. Some days later, a fitting opportunity presenting itself, she hastened to claim the fulfillment of his promise, but when he answered the question, she burst into bitter weeping, crying as she clung about his neck. Oh, Kenneth, Kenneth, why did you tell me? Why did I ask? I wish I had not. And he had much ado to comfort her. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.